Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Everything you need, you already have. And so if you sense opposition or warfare or demonic attack, what do we do? We pray, call a friend, read a scripture, obey the Lord, call on God. You know, recognize that God has all authority, all power. Demons got to flee in his name. You know, if you want to change an atmosphere and environment, God says he inhabits the praise of his people. Throw on some praise music and glorify God if you want to change an environment. But don't be walking around burning sage thinking you're doing something to the devil. While our society has largely chosen to ignore the spiritual realm, there are still many people out there who hold to superstitious ideas. Even certain branches or denominations of the church have superstitious and ritualistic views of how to deal with the spiritual realm. This realm is very real, and we need to be aware of it. But we don't have any reason to fear it as followers of Jesus. In today's message, Pastor Bill will help us view the enemy and his minions through the lens of the gospel. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter 9 as he continues his message, Hell on Earth. Just be careful about watching stuff like, because everybody else is doing it. The Bible never told you to do that, right? I've had people that called and like, hey, can you come and, you know, I want you to come and, and, and put oil over every door in my house and walk through my house. This is just a reality. You can't put enough oil on a doorway. That's not how we deal with the devil. That's not how we deal with the demonic realm. We pray. I've had people that ask me to come to their house and do it. And I'm like, look, you want to be concerned with the people in the house because I'm, I'm a person, right? If I'm, a, I'm a believer. And that means the spirit of God lives in me and greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Um, I'm more concerned with who's under my roof than, than the house itself. Satan is worried about people, just like God is worried about people. He ain't worried about your house. You know, Satan ain't worried about some room. With, this room in the back of my house, it was this old lady used to live back here. And so what? I bought a house from a woman that I know was doing witchcraft and she was growing stuff in my backyard and we bought the house and tore all the stuff out and moved in and, and God moved in with us. I, you know, there was never, I never walked around like, did you hear that? I bet, I bet that lady is, man, please, you know. It's sometimes we give power to the enemy that's just not there, you know. God lives in you if you're a believer. And so greater is he that's in you, that's he, everything you need, you already have. And so if you sense opposition or warfare or demonic attack, what do we do? We pray, call a friend, read a scripture, obey the Lord, call on God, you know, recognize that God has all authority, all power. Demons got to flee in his name. You know, if you want to change an atmosphere and environment, God says he inhabits the praise of his people, throw on some praise music and glorify God if you want to change an environment. But don't be walking around burning sage thinking you're doing something to the devil. So I just want to throw that out there. So, so back to this. So the devil is here. You know, he's, the, he's destroying and, and he's the destroyer. He's the one that's over these, these demonic creatures that are going out. And this is part of God's wrath. This is just the first woe. Verse 12 says, one woe is past, but behold, two more woes are coming after these things. And so this is the first of three woes. If you guys remember last week after the five trumpets, the angel flew over and he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I paraphrase, but he essentially said, what God is getting ready to do next is way worse than what he did here. Um, and there are these three woes. Well, this is the first woe. These demonic creatures that are unleashed on the earth during the tribulation period, they cause people to be in pain for five months, 
death will flee. They will not be able to die. And uh, we'll see in a little bit that as much as I think it would cause people to repent, it doesn't. Now we get the second situation. Look at verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. And so that's the, the altar of incense where the prayers of the saints are kept. And it said, uh, verse 14, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. So there's four angels that have been bound at the great river Euphrates, and they're going to be released now. Verse 15, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Let me point something out. As these angels and the demons are being released to do things, I just want to remind us who's ultimately in charge, right? Who, set the, who's, who let the first demons go when it was time? God did that. God said, now they can go. So all that time on earth right now, they're bound up. They can't do what they want to do. We need to remember that. Uh, sometimes people think the devil is have free reign to do whatever he wants, to whoever he wants, whenever he wants. Y'all know that's not the case? That Satan can't do anything concerning you that doesn't pass by God first. I'm not saying that Satan can't attack and that things can't happen, but it has to be father filtered, right? When Satan was going to attack Job, God set parameters. God said, you can touch all that he has, but don't touch him. Then God, then God said, you can touch him, but you can't take his life. And God kept setting up the parameters and the boundaries as far as how far he could go. When God first bragged on Job to Satan, God told Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth, a man that's upright, blameless, fears God, and shuns evil. You know what Satan said? Because Satan had checked him out. Satan said there's a hedge about him and everything. That, how you know that, devil? Huh? How, how you know there's a hedge about him and all that he has on every side? Satan had checked him out. And Job was living in such a way that he was hedged in. Satan, because I couldn't get through to him. He needed permission to get through. And God granted him permission here and permission there. Remember that. So when something happens in your life, some warfare happens, bad as it may be, Remember that God has had to pass by you. And if you allowed it, then you, that one, if God has allowed it into your life, then you can be victorious in it. Y'all know that? No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And so anything that happens to you got to pass by him. And so if God has allowed Satan to test you. God has allowed Satan to tempt you. God has allowed, it's, it's passed by God. And I can be victorious because God don't set us up for failure. And so if God has allowed this in. If God has allowed this, allowed this battle, this thing to transpire, somehow I'm going to be strengthened and made better through it. And so don't cry too loud. You know, don't, don't glorify the devil. Sometimes we give Satan so much credit, I think he likes it. You know, we just talk about the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. Um, I realize that he's, he can't really do, he can't just do what he want to do. So I, I look above his head to the Lord. I will say this too, because I've seen, you know, well-meaning movies and whatnot where people are talking to the devil instead of praying. And um, like The War Room, it was a great movie. But the, 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 the crescendo of the movie, the lady is in there saying, devil, I'm telling you devil, and you can't, she's talking to the devil for like 10 minutes. That's not what we do. It looked good. It was, it was theatrical. But biblically, that's not what you, we, I'm not going to be in a room talking to the devil. That's my enemy. Amen? He's a liar. He's a foe. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm not conversating with that fool. We talk to God. That's where the power is at. You have access through Jesus Christ to God Almighty. That's who you want to be having your conversation with. And if you've experienced in warfare, I'm not encouraging you to walk around saying, devil, you, you know, you're telling him what he can and can't do. You be talking to the Lord. 
God, in your name, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that anything demonic, anything that's not of you, God, you would cleanse me. You would remove it from my home, remove it from this environment. Give me strength. Bind Satan in the name of Jesus. But your conversation is going to be with God about the devil. That's, the, that's what we see in Scripture. That's what we're encouraged to do in the Word of God. So be careful about maybe watching movies or watching these TV preachers walking around, talking to the devil, stomping on the devil and everything else. Um, that that's, that's not really where we get battle done with the enemy. Uh, we get that done on our faces. We get that done in prayer and in conversation with the Lord. Amen? And so now, again, we're, we're looking at the second situation. It says in verse 15, so the four angels that have been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. So now they've been released and they're, uh, they're, they're been free, these demons, to kill a third of mankind. So this has never happened before either, but this is a direct hit. So Again, imagine a third of the people dying. That, that means there would be nobody alive that wasn't impacted by this. If a third of the people got killed, everybody would know many people that died. And so this would impact, this is worldwide, this would impact everybody. A third of mankind are going to be killed. And again, you would think that this would bring brokenness or uh, repentance or change, but we're going to see that it doesn't. Verse 16, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. He said, I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. So John is seeing a vision of these demonic horses that are going out to kill a third of mankind. It says, those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the head of the horses were like the heads of lions. So again, just get these images in your mind. You got these, these, these horses of red, blue, and sulfur yellow. They, the heads of the horses look like lions. Uh, out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. And this is why I titled the chapter Hell on Earth. That you got these, you got demonic locusts stinging people that hurt for five months and you can't die. Now you got these 200 million horses that are going out in these crazy colors. Because I've never seen a yellow, a fiery red or a hyacinth blue or a sulfur yellow horse with the head of a lion. And we'll see in a moment they have the tail of a serpent, but they're breathing out fire and smoke and brimstone and killing a third of mankind on the earth. And again, I'm, I'm thinking that at this time, they're going to be all kind of meltdowns. I, I, I would assume that people would be having nervous breakdowns and everything else. These are horrific things to be seen with your eyes and experiencing on the earth. Verse 19 for their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. So they, these, these things are hurting people from the front and the back. Their tails are like serpents that do harm. Uh, the, the head is like a lion's head, and they breathe out fire, smoke, and brimstone. Now, verse 20 says, starts off with the word but. Again, I would read this and think, man, surely people are saying, God, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Give me that mark on my forehead. But we're going to see that people actually get mad at God. And they don't turn to the Lord. Look at verse 20. It says, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. We're going to see that phrase twice. They did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. So two, two brackets of things here. First, it says they didn't repent of their idolatry, worshiping things that don't speak, don't hear, can't touch. 
And so the fact that God says they did not repent was because that's what he wanted them to do. Something we see throughout Scripture is God's remedy for man's sinful state is that they would repent. Um, all throughout the Bible, how does a man that's messed up get right with God? He's got to repent. That word repent means to make a U-turn. That means that if you were walking this way in rebellion against God at a point, when you come into realization that you're doing wrong, you repent. You turn from that thing. You turn from that life, from that sin, and you now begin to walk with God. It's, it's repentance is action. So you can't repent. You can make a decision to repent in a moment. But repentance has to have some follow-up. Repentance is a change of behavior that takes place. It begins in a moment, but it's followed through in a lifestyle. So they didn't repent, these people at this time, although they're seeing all these demonic, wicked things, and they're experiencing a third of the people dying. They're seeing demonic creatures, and they're experiencing pain and all sorts of stuff, but they don't repent of their idolatry. They continue on worshiping things that are not God. And that was then, right? For you and I now, that's, that's not a far thing today. There, today, people worship things that are not God, right? Our idols might look different than Old Testament idols. We not, might, might not, you know, we might not worship idols like, you know, little Buddhas or little creatures or things like that, but people worship things that are not God. People worship their stuff. People in our, we're in, we're in you know, the United States of America, you know, and so people worship their possessions, their, their things, um, lots of things that people put before God. Um, God says here, man, they, they still didn't repent of putting things. May we all just take inventory, consider that there wouldn't be anything that we put before the Lord. Uh, nothing deserves to be in front of Jesus in our lives. Amen. He, he, he should be on the throne of every heart. Um, nobody deserves it. He should have no rival, no challengers. Um, there should be nothing that rivals Jesus as far as who's on the throne of our hearts. And so that's ours to, to deal with. Now, the second group of things that they did not repent of. These are actions. It says they did not repent of their murders. And uh, that can be looked at two ways. Obviously, just murders, killing people out of hatred. But Jesus said, if you hate someone, same thing, you've murdered them in your heart. Because murder begins in the heart with hatred. So I would say to you, because this is during the tribulation period, they, they, they still holding on to bitterness and hatred. I would say to you guys that are sitting here today, don't give yourself license to hate people. Not okay for Christians to go around doing that. That we are called to forgive. And there may have been people that have done wrong things to you, that have done you wrong and everything else, but it's not okay for you to walk in ongoing hatred, that you would hate somebody uh, in your heart. How do you know you hate somebody? A couple things. If you can't stand to hear them spoken well of, you hate them, right? That's one way you know you hate somebody. If you, when you hear somebody else say something good about the person you hate, you're like, nah. And rather you say nothing or not, you don't like it. You know, I don't like to hear anybody say anything good about them because you hate them. Don't hate nobody. Uh, if you can't say anything good about them, you probably hate them. If, if, if your heart is impacted in a negative way whenever they come up, you probably hate them. And the only way to deal with that is you just forgive. You got to let people off the hook. You don't have to go re-enter into relationships with them, but you don't want to walk around in hatred as a believer because that's not God's character. Uh, and God says, here, look, uh, they, 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 he wants us to repent of that. And here's the thing. No matter who has offended you in your life, because we've all been living a little while, and the older you are, the longer you've been living, and this is just a fact. There's no one person that could possibly have sinned against you worse than you've sinned against God over your lifetime. Y'all know that? So whatever someone's done to you, however bad you feel like it was, you have done worse, and God has forgiven you, and so God demands that you forgive them. I've never forgiven anybody and been like, man, I shouldn't have forgave them. You know what I mean? I should have, I should have continued to be bitter and hate, her, hate them in my heart. You know, it, Forgiving people and letting them off the hook sets me free going about my life, do what God's given me to do. Now, they have, they have not repented of their murders. Then it says of their sorceries. 
Now, if you look up that word sorceries in the Greek, it's the Greek word pharmakia, and it means literally illicit drugs. So interesting that in Scripture, many times there is a link between illicit drugs and demonic activity. And so you, you get that word sorceries and you almost get a little bit of both. So let me just speak on illicit drugs real quick, because that was happening then. Um, that same word is used in Galatians when Paul gives a list of the works of the flesh. And he says, anyone who practices these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So illicit drugs, these are drugs that are having an impact that are altering your mind. Um, as believers, that's not something we want to be doing. We know we're not supposed to get drunk, um, but we're also not supposed to be using drugs that are impacting our minds, that are taking away our, our mental clarity, that we're supposed to be people that are under the control and power of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to be taking in anything regularly that puts you under the influence of something that's not God. So uh, obviously that would rule out cocaine and crack and things like that and hard narcotics, but we're living in a time right now where Marijuana, uh, people wonder, like, well, what about marijuana? Is that okay? It's natural. Made it from the herbs. It's good, right? So does marijuana alter your state of being mentally? It does. It's a fact. It's a fact that it does. Is it addictive? It's a fact that it is. Is it a gateway? It is a fact that it is. Is it something that believers should be fooling around with? No. Not something believers should be doing. It's, that's, it's, uh, marijuana would fall under illicit, but it's legal now. In California, it sure is. You know, it's legal to go home and get drunk if you're an adult, but it's not okay with God. It's legal for you to go home and have sexual relations with someone you're not married to, as long as it's consensual, but it's not okay with God, right? It can be legal for a man to marry a man, but it wouldn't be okay with God. So just because California says, you know what? <laughs> we can make money off of this now, so it's legal, you know? Y'all know I used to be a weed, a weed man back in the day. That was, I just, just, I was a weed man. That was my, my hustle as a non-believer before I met Christ. Um, can I tell you the damage I saw just as a kid? I'm in high school selling weed. I'm watching kids that get addicted to weed in high school. Just regular old weed and, you know, chronic or whatever it was. I watched kids pawn school rings and stuff right there on Market Street so they can buy a sack real quick. Wait, 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 wait. Pawn my gold chain. Pawn my ring. I was at Catholic school. I watched kids steal their tuition money from their moms to buy weed and tell their mom they got jacked on the bus, right? How many kids that I knew that were smoking weed that grew up and started smoking crack? Ask me that. Nobody, nobody thought weed was their starter kit to be, you, you're really getting addicted to getting high. And eventually, as you stay in that realm, you mess around and be getting high on something else. Ask me how many of my friends I grew up with that were just smoking weed ended up later on doing something else. I went to Union Rescue Mission to feed the homeless. And I saw my buddy that I went to high school with at Union Rescue Mission. Used to just smoke weed. Now life is all jacked up. Mom can't trust him to go in her house. Starts with weed. So, you know, I could go on and on. But I would just say as believers, it's, it's something that we shouldn't be fooling around with. And here he says, look, they didn't repent of that. And I bet, you, I bet people felt all kind of justified with all that was going on um, to, to, to smoke some weed or do whatever. But God would say, not, not my kids. I, I'm, I want your mind. Right? I want your mind to be sharp. I want access to your mind. If you give your mind over to other substances, that would, you know, alcohol or anything else where you give your mind over. If you get drunk to where your mind is gone, weed is not like alcohol. You can drink alcohol and not get drunk. You cannot smoke weed and not get high. So uh, whatever amount of weed you smoke, you are, you're under its influence at that point. And you can smoke more and more and more or less and less and less. It's not like alcohol in the same sense. But 
We don't want to, as believers, come under the influence of anything because we're supposed to be under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. And you can't do both. And so he says here, they haven't repented of their sorceries. Then they have not repented of their sexual immorality or of their theft. Sexual immorality is any sexual behavior outside of marital sexual relations. Um, trying to look around real quick. Okay, so it would fall under this. So if you're, if you're, if you're dealing with pornography, which is rampant today, um, that's sexual immorality. Um, and if you're a guy or a woman here and that's something that you've given yourself license to do, that's, you want to repent of that. That's not something you want to be taking into your heart, into your mind. Um, it's, it's wrong. It's sexually immoral. It's not God's will for you to be sowing that into your heart and mind. If you're single, you're unmarried, and you're having sex on a regular basis with somebody, that's sexual immorality. You live that as a lifestyle. You're not inheriting the kingdom. If you're married to somebody and having sex with somebody other than who you're married to, that is adultery. That's sexual immorality. If you're a man and you are dealing with men, if you're a woman and you're dealing with, that's sexual immorality. Um, all these are things that if you don't repent and you die like that, you're not going to heaven living like that. You're not going to habitually do that and then make it to heaven. And so um, for, there, there are couples that, but I love them. If you're a Christian couple and you love the person that you're with and you love the Lord, having sex with them as Christians, right, when you're saying you love this person, you're actually damaging their relationship with the Lord. Most important thing, like you, you really don't love them, you love you. And so, you know, if you're single and you want to have sex, get married. That's what Paul said, better to marry than to burn. So if you're single and you're not, you found somebody that don't fornicate with them, marry them. Then after you get married, God says, now go do it as much as you want to do it. God bless you. You can praise God afterwards and before and during. But until you get married, stop that, right? This is a sexual morality. Here he says, look, and I'm thinking about this. This time there's demons going loose. There's people getting stung and dying and people still figuring out how to go crawl up somewhere and fornicate. He said, they still ain't repented of their sexual morality. And lastly, they have not repented of their thefts. Um, and I guess in this period where things are, you know, getting difficult, people are stealing, maybe the temptation to do it is greater. Uh, all these things are happening today, too. So we're not here during the tribulation period where God's pouring out his wrath. We're here pre-tribulation. We're here church age. But we need to understand that these are all things that God would say, if you're doing these things, you should repent of them. Um, especially if you consider that you consider yourself to be a Christian. Uh, we shouldn't be hating people. We definitely shouldn't be murdering people. We shouldn't be um, walking in... Um, <clears throat> any kind of illicit drugs, uh, where we're, our, our minds are being taken over. We certainly shouldn't be living sexually immoral lives, and we shouldn't be thieves. As believers, believers are called to be generous givers. Paul said in Ephesians, let him who stole steal no more. Rather, let him work with his hands that he may have something to give to someone that's in need, right? As non-believers, maybe you did steal. I, I was a thief as a non-believer. Now God says, as a Christian, you can't do that anymore. Now we want you to work and make money so you can be a blessing to other people. You're no longer the thief. You're the giver now. Y'all know that Satan is a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you're a thief, you walk in his nature, his character. So be careful about that. Don't steal from work. Don't steal from any. Don't, just don't be a thief. Be benevolent. Find somebody to bless. Give something to somebody, but don't be a thief. All these things Jesus says, look, man, they didn't repent of it. You'd think they would have repented, but they didn't. They were continuing on with all the judgment that was pouring out. They continued on in their sin. So as we wrap this up, uh, my exhortation to us is that we would see that God has called us to repentance. Um, maybe you're here and if there are things on this list that you're saying, man, I need to repent, repent, repent today. Turn from it and turn back to the Lord today uh, that he might get the glory from our lives. The, the reason why we're able to read these things beforehand. 
God is saying, look, this is what's coming. This is who is going to happen. I don't want to look like those that are coming under the wrath of God when I'm under the mercy of Jesus. Amen. We know there are many ways that you can spend your day, but we're delighted that you chose to spend time with us today here on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill is working his way through the book of Revelation. There are a variety of things addressed in this book. There are letters written to churches, lots of imagery and prophecy, and the best part, a coming king who will reign supreme. Don't you just love a good story? Where good overcomes evil? Jesus is the ultimate in this, bringing good and restoring all that's broken and lost. What a wonderful Savior! How do you engage with the book of Revelation? Is it scary to you? Is it confusing? Is it inspiring? We'd like to help you through what you're thinking as you're listening to these messages. Our number is 310-245-4811. Feel free to give us a call. We'd love to connect with you, just in case you missed it. That number is 310-245-4811. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry based out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Would you come visit us? Sunday morning services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. For those not in the area, you can live stream our service on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Look for links on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Our time with you today is about up, but please join us again for the next edition as God continues to reveal His plan for the world and for us. On behalf of Pastor Bill and the rest of the production team, thanks for being a part of A Transforming Word.